Let's pray and we'll get into the word. Father, thank you again for, um, for being our God and our Savior and our Lord and our King. And we, we do want to live for you and know you more. And so grateful that um, you have revealed yourself in your word. You have given us your spirit who illumines us to the truth and of reality and of light. And so we're grateful, God, uh, to have this time now as this year is yet new uh, to get into the text and um, be encouraged. We pray that you be glorified through it in Jesus name. Amen. Our family got to worship in Arizona uh, last Sunday as we were praying for Faith Bible Church in Northridge, close to our hearts, you know, even though we were uh, a state or so away. But we went to Flagstaff Indian Bible Church and uh, a small um, congregation, uh, much smaller than ours even. And when we went there, we kind of doubled the congregation. Um, and there were some people away for sure for the holidays and Going back to the uh, reservation, it's a Navajo Indian uh, pastor there. And uh, we actually, my wife and I met him um, during the IFCA National Convention, uh, him and his wife. And so we got to go there and chose to go there for this past Sunday. And uh, it was a very wonderful service. I was glad to hear feedback from uh, our church here. That was a great start to the year um, service-wise from Sunday school praise and prayer time on. But um, the scripture reading last Sunday at Flagstaff Indian Bible Church was Philippians 3, verses 7 through 21, which is basically the offertory lyrics uh, that Ruth just played. And as we read that together as part of our worship service, uh, we just and the way that he did it was he would read one verse and then the congregation, all ten of us, would read the, the other verse and we'd alternate. And it was actually wonderful. And by the time we got done to verse 21, uh, it was immediately on my heart to come back and preach the whole passage uh, when I came back for today. And so that's the way the Lord moved. I was very thankful once again for the great start here and Romans 13, just uh, listening to the sermon from Pastor Bill. Grateful for those those um, reminders and those charges uh, to to be on the alert and to be in a lifestyle of repentance, even as Christians, and to be putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, wonderful. And I wanted to follow up on this first Communion Sunday of the year, our second Sunday service uh, of 2023, with further encouragement from God's word uh, for us to keep on keeping on, that we would persevere, that we would proceed, we would persist in moving forward together in Christ. And it was over four years ago now that I did preach through Philippians. Some of you remember that. And uh, this chunk of scripture in chapter three, those verses seven through twenty one, several sermons it took to um, unpack all of that. But for today, we're going to revisit and focus in on just the passage that's in the middle of verses seven through twenty one. This great section of Philippians, the whole book, it's my favorite. But verses twelve through sixteen is what we're going to focus on today. We're going to condense that into one blessed message as this year is still new. And so part of the thing that I appreciated from um, the sermon last Sunday was uh, the sharing of those questions at the end, those, those seven questions that we can ask ourselves annually every year, which help us to evaluate our walk with the Lord. And the very first one was, do I know Christ more intimately than I did a year ago? 
The text in Philippians chapter 3 establishes that the goal of the Christian life is to know Jesus more and to become more like him. After all, this is the God of our salvation, the one who forgave us of all of our sins and brought us to himself by his saving power. It should be only natural that we should want to know him more and want more of him. And smack in the middle of the passage, Paul says in verse 14, if you're not there yet, Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this is the basic thrust of our passage. It happens to be right in the middle of it. It's a call to pursue the prize. Pursue the prize. And the obvious question is then, what is that prize? What is that prize? And I'm just telling you right now, Jesus himself is the prize. He himself is the treasure. He is the pearl of great price. And uh, it's, it's been repeated now um, for a number of times. Second Corinthians 9.15, right? He is called the indescribable gift. The ESV says the inexpressible gift. And as, as indescribable and as inexpressible it is to, to fathom who Jesus Christ is in all his perfections and majesty and glory and beauty, um, there has not been any other person in the entire history of the world uh, of whom there have been more hymns and songs and literature written except Jesus. And so he is a fountain of just incredible glory. And so the question again, do I know Christ more intimately now than I did a year ago? And uh, really this should be just our goal, our mindset, our heart, our, our, our prize as Christians. And partly that's because everything in, else in life flows from this. Everything else in life flows from knowing God, knowing Jesus more. And that includes our love for others, our relationships with others, our putting off of our sin, our putting on of Christ, our responses to the ups and downs that come in life that will come in this new year. Everything else flows from our closeness and our relationship with our Lord. So I hope that today will be an encouraging call for each of us to pursue the treasure, and this treasure which is a, a stronger, a deeper closer relationship with Jesus and likeness to his character. So I'm going to read the text now. It's verses 12 to 16. Our sermon title is Pressing Onward and Upward in Christ. So if you would stand with me. Philippians chapter 3. We're only going to do verses 12 to 16 today. And this is God's word. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will, will reveal that also to you. 
However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Please be seated. I want to submit to you this morning three vital pointers to keep us moving on the path to spiritual growth in Christ together. Three vital pointers to keep us moving on the path to spiritual growth in Christ together. And you have a bit of an outline um, inside of your bulletin pages there. And the first pointer I want to submit to you is to enter the race. Enter the race, verses 12 and 14. In order to be moving on the path to spiritual growth, you must first make sure you are on the right path. As you might add the word real race in there, enter the real race. You have to make sure that you are actually in the race. And that might seem obvious, but I'm going to state it again anyway. You cannot grow in your relationship with Jesus if you don't know him as your personal Savior and Lord in the first place. So that cannot go without emphasis. If you are an unbeliever today, or a pretender, or a procrastinator, this is a call to you to enter the race. Paul describes himself in the second part of that verse, saying, I press on, I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Press on there means to pursue, diako, to chase after. It's even used uh, in other places in Scripture to describe someone who's persecuting someone else, chasing them down to persecute. Okay, so to follow or press hard after is to pursue with an earnestness so that you want to obtain something. You want to hold on to something. It's to go after with that desire of obtaining. So when you think about the Apostle Paul's life, what a beautiful irony, right? He used to be a persecutor of Christians. Before he was saved, he used to bring them to flight. But now he's someone who is chasing after and pursuing the Savior. He's pursuing Christ to know him more and to be like him. So he writes there in verse 12 again, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He's speaking here of his effort in the Christian race. But he clarifies that underneath that effort is the foundational fact that he was first laid hold of by Christ, right? At the end of the verse there. So what does that word mean, laid hold of? Catalambano, it's to seize or to possess, okay, to take eagerly. It's an intensified word that means to apprehend or seize something after a pursuit, It's like a policeman chasing down a robber and apprehending him. He'd have a a firm grip on the man so he wouldn't get away. Or like a lion after an intense pursuit of a gazelle. Finally, he has it in its clutches, in the vice grip of its jaws and claws. It's got lay hold of its prey. He's not letting that thing go. So Paul says that the reason he's in the race is because Jesus Christ pursued him and seized him and got a hold of him. Recall what Paul was doing on that road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. Again, he was chasing down Christians, 
Okay, to throw them in jail, to have them beaten, to be put to death. But the Lord Jesus seized him and called him out and turned him completely around. So in answer to that question, like why do you treasure Jesus? Why do you love Christ? Paul might have said something like this. I treasure Jesus because he chased me down while I was running away. And he didn't stop until I was found and tackled by his overwhelming love and mercy. Or maybe he might say something like this. I treasure Jesus because the blood of his sacrifice speaks a better word than all my religious pedigree and the sweat of all my religious efforts. And actually, he, he did kind of write that in verses 4 through 7, uh, which I won't read right now, but uh, of Philippians chapter 3. So Jesus saw all of Paul's self-righteousness, his pride, his hatred towards Christians, all the arrogance and anger that would cause someone to persecute others, to be punished by the authorities, to suffer and even be put to death. That was Paul's life before Jesus got a hold of him. And it's the same with us, right? God saw all of the evil, our ugly sins, our pride, our self-centeredness, our self-righteousness, our selfishness, our lies, our lusts, our deceptions, and he chose to lay hold of us anyway. Maybe some of us would answer that question, I treasure Jesus because he took my blame and my punishment on the cross. Even though he had plenty of time to think it over and he rightly should have and could have said no. Look at verse 14. It's a similar idea reflected there when Paul writes, The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that upward call of God, it refers to God's calling of his elect unto salvation. Romans 9, 11, 1 Corinthians 1, 24. Christians are saved because God called us to salvation. He called us and he laid hold of us, as I described and defined earlier. Pastor Stephen Cole says, If you have not been laid hold of by Christ, you are not in the race. The Christian life, this race, begins with God's powerful, effectual calling of you and laying hold of your life. The reason you're in the race is because Christ grabbed you and said, I want you to run for me. Because he laid hold of you, you give it all you've got. End quote. So how do we enter in the race? How do we enter? In the, well, I was thinking of my younger days when I used to run cross country. And uh, every so often I would run these 10 Ks, believe it or not, okay, 6.2 miles. Not quite a marathon, but um, used to run those. Our next-door neighbor, Tom, told us about it. He was a runner. And uh, there were trophies for, for different age groups, and anyone could join in. Um, but the only thing you'd have to do to join these 10K races was to register your name and information and pay an entrance fee, just a very small fee. So register and pay, and you're in. Well, to enter the race of knowing Jesus, you don't register and pay, even though a lot of people look at the Christian life like that. You can't just say, I'm interested, and all right, I'll sign up, sign my name, and I'll go to church on Sundays. I'll pay, I'll give a little bit of my offerings when I remember or when it's convenient. Um, I'll do some clean Christian stuff. I'll serve when I can, I'll give offerings when I can, I'll generally try to 
be a good moral person, hey, it's, it's not register in paying, but rather it's repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. You must go to God, broken over your sin, understand that if you died this moment without putting your faith in the Lord Jesus, you will receive God's judgment in hell, which is a prison where there's no parole. It's an eternal place of actual torment and misery and punishment forever. So you've got to repent. Turn from your sinful attitude and sinful ways, which are against the very God who created you and gave you every single blessing you have in your life. So repent has been described as the first word of the gospel. And the second word is believe. But actually, these are like two sides of the same coin, right? Repent and believe. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus alone for forgiveness of all your sins and for the gift of eternal life. God may be calling some of you to repent of putting him on the, the lower shelf of your stack of priorities in life, okay, if he's on the shelf at all. God may be calling others of you to repent of your mistaken notion that somehow you will be good enough to make it to heaven when you die. He's calling others to repent of your rejection of simply submitting yourself to his Son, Jesus Christ, as the Lord of your heart and life. You might be pursuing all manner of other things in your life this morning. You, might have, you may be running from God until now, but he's chasing you down today. C.S. Lewis called God, very affectionately, the hound of heaven. And the hound of heaven is calling you to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ alone for your soul salvation and your sins to be forgiven. So if anyone is an unbeliever here this morning or listening on the live stream today, I call you to enter the race by turning from sin and putting your trust and faith in Jesus alone. For believers, just some quick application here, because some who are Christians and do actually profess belief in Christ, uh, you've been on the sidelines for a long time, for a long time, for whatever reasons. You might be in the race, but you're spending more time off the track than on it. And you've maybe got one foot on that path of the Christian life, kind of following Jesus, but you've got one foot in the world. And really, there's not much attention to your spiritual growth, not really spending much time with the Lord, not really reading your Bible, not really having meaningful time in devotion and prayer, not really serving in the church. So it's like living with a a divided heart. And Jesus says you can't serve two masters. It's him or other. This is a call for you, too, to get in the race. Perhaps you're living like that because you haven't come to true conversion and saving faith in Christ. But I call you to get back on track, to pursue Jesus, pursue growth, pursue discipleship. And this is the purpose of discipling others and having an influence for Christ in their lives for others. It might take repentance of certain things for you, certain attitudes, certain ways, Uh, whether it's spiritual laziness, spiritual indifference, or that divided mind and divided heart. Difficult as that might be, it's the best 
and biblical way to turn around and get back on the path. My first year, years and years ago, playing organized basketball, uh, my team name was called Puss in Boots, which we saw that movie uh, on vacation. But I was a scrawny little third grader. I didn't get much playing time because um, there were some older kids on the team, these big old sixth graders. I remember one kid, sixth grade, he almost had a mustache. But one day, as I was warming the bench, uh, as I did that whole year, my coach looks down and says, hey, hi, and I want you to get into the game. And so I got in because the coach called me to go in. And I wanted to give my best to please that coach who called me in to play. So God is calling every one of us here this morning to enter the race. This spiritual path is the pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ and helping others to do the same. So that's our first vital pointer there, enter the race. Our next one is to embrace the right attitudes. Embrace the right attitudes. And we see this uh, throughout the entire passage, verse 12 to 16. Uh, Once you're a Christian, it takes the right attitudes to grow spiritually. And from this text, I want to just bring out three right attitudes that we should embrace. The first one is, verse 12 and 13, humility of heart. Humility of heart. Note in verses 12 and 13, Paul says three times, Something to the effect of, I have not arrived yet. He means I have not yet arrived to spiritual maturity and completion. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it. Verse 12 again, or have already become perfect. Verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. We want to keep in mind that this is the Apostle Paul speaking probably 25 or 30 years after his conversion. He has been running the race. He has been doing the work of the Lord fervently. He has treasured knowing Christ. He's pursuing Christ-likeness for decades, and yet he acknowledges that he has not yet arrived. He is not yet perfect or complete. This is a humble attitude. I am quite certain that all of us Christians here would agree with Paul in evaluating ourselves that we have not arrived yet. We become spiritually all that we ought to be. And this is good. This is right. This is humble. But I want to add this. Where true humility of heart comes in is when we begin to share with others in the church body. Areas where we know we need to grow, areas of sin or struggle or temptation, and we seek help, we seek prayer, we seek counsel, we seek accountability with one another. And by the way, it's, it is okay not to be okay, as some of you may have heard, struggle with sin and temptations and attitudes and words and etc. But it's not okay to stay that way. And God gave us the church body to, to grow together. The humbleness of heart says, I need to change. I need to identify those areas where I need to change. I need to do it. I know I haven't arrived yet. I know I'm not yet spiritually complete where I ought to be. But Lord, help me to make these changes. Help me. Changes that are pleasing to you inside and out. And let me get help within my church family to grow. That is the humbleness of heart that I'm talking of. And I I can apply this in many different ways, but... um, 
That's just one thing I want you to remember. So the second right attitude to embrace um, in verses 13 and 14 so that we can grow on the path to Christ-likeness is persistence and perseverance. Persistence and perseverance. Okay, this attitude says, I'm in this to the end. Right? I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. I've got the long view on it. I'm in it to win it. Again, Paul has been going at it for around 30 years and he's still not satisfied. He's still pursuing Christ more, still desiring spiritual growth, persisting to become more like Jesus. He says in verse 13, brethren, brothers, sisters, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. He's got one thing on his mind here. He's not looking left or right. He's not focused on anything else but that goal, that purpose. He knows he's not there yet, but Christ is the one thing he's after. And he goes on forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So he doesn't have on his mind what went on before, what past successes he's had. And Paul has had many spiritual ministry successes, has he not? Nor does he have past failures in mind. And he probably had many of those as well, which we can relate to. Paul's mind is on what is ahead, even in his older age now. And just dangers of looking back. We think of those Olympic sprinter stories who lost the gold medal by glancing over to see who was behind him or her. And they lose by that very, very hundredth of a second, fraction of a second, lose the gold medal. But Paul, he's reaching forward to what lies ahead. He presses on toward the goal for the prize. Okay, in other words, Paul is not resting on his laurels. He's not satisfied where he's at spiritually in his relationship with Christ. He wants to know him more even now. When it's possible, remember, he's in prison possibly facing death by execution. What a great example of persistence and perseverance Paul is all the way to the end. And uh, I might have shared this with you before, but as I'm watching sports on TV with my family, especially my boys, um, who are the athletes that I tell my kids that I admire most? It's not the strongest. It's not the most skilled. It's not the fastest. It's not the most talented. It's the ones who are always battling, always hustling, persisting, persevering. We've got a name for them. He's a never-give-up guy. And we point him out as that's happening. Persist in this attitude. No matter how young or how old you are, no matter how far along you are on the spiritual path, on the Christian life, no matter how long you've been at it as a Christian this morning, I'm in it all the way to the end by His grace. So our third right attitude to embrace and engage is verses 15 and 16. Unity in community. Unity in community. This attitude says that we are in this together. We're in it together. Verse 15 and 16, Paul writes, Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. Let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Did you notice that shift starting in verse 15? Previously, he's speaking in the first person singular, I, 
I, right? Talking about himself. But then in verse 15, he shifts to the third person, plural. He says, us, us, we. In other words, the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. Not isolated from the church body. Not isolated from one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And even though Paul uses the metaphor of a race, we want to win the race by obtaining the prize. We are not in competition against each other to see who can be the godliest or the greatest, as the disciples, even up to the end, were arguing over. Rather, the beautiful thing about this race that we're in is that we are united. United in Christ, we want to help each other grow in godliness, to know Christ more, and to become more like him together. So we're in it, in love, with encouragement, with support and care, practicing the one another's. And Paul is saying to those who are progressing towards the spiritual maturity in verse 15 to have this attitude, have this attitude. They can and must keep on the path of growth onward and upward together. And so look at the end of verse 15 there. He says, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal, reveal that also to you. He makes sure to include those who have a different attitude. If you disagree, if you have a problem with what Paul is saying here, basically saying, stay, be teachable. God will show you where you need to grow. And God will reveal that also to you. So the point we're bringing out here is that our attitude should be unity in community. We're in this path, we're in this race together. Verse 16, for reinforcement, Paul says, we've all been given God's truth, right? So let's, let's be literally following in line. Okay, let us keep living by that same standard. Uh, this, the, the literal translation is following in line, stoikeo. Let us all be living together according to the truth and not settle for less. Okay, this is um, in the present tense, continual, habitual action. It's to conduct one's life to live in conformity to a certain standard and to live that standard in harmony and agreement with one another. So the emphasis is that we're doing this all together. We all need to keep at it, these righteous attitudes. Don't be kicking back spiritually. Don't be the one who's not working on it. Don't be the one who's not pulling your own weight. Uh, As I've said over and over, Your sanctification and your working out your salvation with fear and trembling is a gift to the church. It's a gift to others in Christ. Let's be pressing onward and upward together towards Christ. So we've got the first two vital pointers to keep us moving forward on the path to spiritual growth. And the first one was enter the race. The second one, we've got to embrace the right attitudes of humility, of perseverance, of unity. And the last pointer is this. Exert the required effort. Exert the required effort. Verses 12, 13, and 14. God hasn't called us to half-heartedness in the Christian life. If we're in, we're all in. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Spiritual maturity 
and real growth in Christ-like character requires much energy and determination. An important note is um, these are not efforts, efforts to earn points with God. It's not efforts we make which add to our salvation in Christ. Jesus has already secured our salvation by his great work on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead on our behalf. He's already done it, and so we do. This means that all of our efforts now as Christians are fueled by grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and driven by the gospel. So those three main action verbs in verses 12, 13, and 14 are press on, lay hold of, and reach forward. And we've already been through the first two, so uh, just very quickly. Um, The point is this, dear brothers and sisters, there's no shortcuts to spiritual growth and maturity. And there's no easy way, there's no shortcuts. A lot of times it requires just even, you know, discipline from from God. Um, But to press on, once again, it means to pursue with earnestness and diligence. Okay, press on towards knowing Christ and becoming more like him. Um, just to fill out the definition of that word, diako, it means to move quickly and energetically toward some objective. Okay, it, it literally pictures vigorous activity, okay, like a, just a, a beehive of activity. So the question is, is that the picture of your pursuit of Christ? of your life in Christ. And once again, it's not perfection that God expects in this life, but it is direction. Okay, we're not in heaven yet, we're not in glory yet, but we must continually be moving onward and upward in that direction. Lay hold of, once again, to apprehend, to get a strong grip on. Paul uses it figuratively to describe taking a firm grasp to the point of making it your own possession. This is, this is uh, our pursuit of Christ. We want more of him. We want to own him. We want to abide in him. We want him to abide in us. Paul wants to appropriate that and make his own the full maturity and Christ-likeness that he was called to when the Lord saved him, and we should do likewise. The last word is verse 13. Reach forward. Epicteno. It means stretching and straining and reaching out. Straining to reach out. Put your eye on the goal. Keep it there. Make forward progress. Striving ahead. Okay, again, forget the past. And one thing I've learned about running a race, you cannot run a good race by, by looking behind you, looking over your shoulder. Okay, in cross country, it, it's a good way to fall, trip over a tree root, or get slowed down. Hey, Paul says in verse 13, they're forgetting what lies behind. Basically, he's saying, don't let the past hinder your spiritual progress. Okay, don't, let, don't let past guilt or past glories cause you to take your eyes off of Christ. We remember from Genesis, Lot's wife looked back. She turned into a pillar of salt. And a little boy in Sunday school heard that and said, well, that's nothing. My mother was driving to the grocery store and looked back and turned it into a telephone pole. You can't drive a car looking back, nor can you run the race looking back. 
Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. We need to keep our eyes looking forward, straining ahead for Christ's sake. Okay, so exert the required effort. So we start to conclude here. The columnist Herb Cain wrote in the San Francisco Chronicle, quote, every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest lion or it will be killed. Every morning, a lion wakes up. It knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter whether you are a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you'd better be running, end quote. Question, dear Faith Bible Church family, are you in the race? Are you on the path? Do you know Jesus? Do you really love him? And this is a good question, too. Maybe we can add on to that at the end of every year. Do I, do I truly love Jesus? Is he your treasure? Do you love his church? I asked myself this week, why do I treasure this Jesus Why do I want to know him more and become more like him? And is he worthy of such exertion and energy and effort? Because sometimes I'm lacking in those things. Just as an example of single-mindedness, Vladimir Lenin was the fanatical architect of the former USSR. A colleague once said of him, Lenin thinks about nothing but revolution. He talks about nothing but revolution. He eats and drinks revolution. And if he dreams at night, he must dream about revolution. No matter how much we might deplore Lenin's fanaticism and all the evil and death that came from it, we must recognize that his single-minded passion not only helped him accomplish his goals, but affected the entire course of history. So I want to ask you, What is your ruling passion today in 2023? What is our ruling passion as a church? Is there some cause or some hobby or some goal or some project that fills you with such enthusiasm and focuses such energy and commands such investment of time and thought and money? What are those things? And in light of the gospel... Is there any eternal value in those things that you are pursuing? What can and should replace those passions in this new year? What must begin to change even now, even today? The Apostle Paul expressed a wonderful, worthy goal. He wrote in Acts chapter 20 to paraphrase. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Our passion, dear church, as Christians, that which has eternal value is to know the Lord Jesus, to trust him, to love him, to become more like him, and to to serve him. And part of that serving, a huge part of that serving is bringing others to him. My hope and prayer for all of us this new year is that we would enter that race. We would be renewed to embrace the right attitudes that we learned of today and that we would exert the full effort 
on the path together in Christ because He's worthy. He is worthy.